another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, a Toronto legend, former booker of Club Shanghai, former booker of the Elma Combo, former booker of the Silver Dollar, currently booking the Monarch Tavern in Toronto, Dan Burke is on the show. And if you are from this city, you have heard, probably played shows for Dan, or every band kind of played some of their first shows with Dan. Or you've heard Legends of Dan, or maybe you've seen some of the YouTube videos of Dan Burke over the years, but oh my gosh, this might be one of the wildest episodes I've ever done. More on that in one second, but first, to get in touch with me, hit up the email address, podcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for Damien. There is also a YouTube page, an Instagram page, a Facebook page, and a TikTok page, all for this podcast, and all could be found at Turned Out of Punk on those respective platforms. And, uh, and yeah, that is that. I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. We will be going on tour. If you're listening to this when it drops, we are, we're currently on tour over in Europe. You can find out more information at fuckedup.cc. We also have a brand new 7-inch called Show Friends, which, um, write me and tell me what you think what the lyrics are about. Some people have written me and speculated what the lyrics are about, and, uh, some people have gotten it. But over there at fuckedup.cc, you can order that record and find out the show dates. We're playing with Off and Dinosaur Jr. and Collapse and a lot of great bands. I'm looking forward to this little tour, and hopefully I see you out there on the road. All right, on to today's show. As I said off the top, this is a big one. This is a wild one. Dan Burke is on the podcast today. Now, Dan is someone, once again, as I said off the top, that if you are from Toronto, you definitely know who Dan is. If you're not from Toronto, you might have heard some of the legends or seen some of the YouTube videos. There's, of course, the infamous John Dwyer fight video. There's the Jay Riotard fight riot video. There's Gosh, countless more. There's also a fantastic documentary. Like this this episode, Dan goes into his whole life, and his life is, as you'll hear, quite harrowing at times. There is a fantastic documentary that came out last year called Kings of Coke, about the cocaine trade in Montreal in the 70s. And Dan, as in his former life as a reporter for W5, is featured quite heavily in this documentary. And so if you want to see, I guess, the... Uh, the prologue to this episode, go out and watch that documentary. And it was produced by Michael Cronish, who's behind uh, the person who greenlit the TV show The Wrestlers that I made way back when. So it all goes full circle. Also gave me my copy of the Asexual 7-inch. So shout out to Michael if he's hearing this one. Uh, this is a, yeah, I'm not going to ramble on too much. There's some stuff in this episode which is kind of upsetting and kind of, um, well, just upsetting and I hope this episode serves as a cautionary tale. No judgment on anyone. Whatever drugs you you do, whatever drugs you, you lean on for relief, no judgment. But at the same time, there is a cost. And before you start doing these drugs, if you have the ability to kind of stop and think, maybe, maybe think back on this episode and think back on some of the stuff that Dan says in this one. All right. I... I I kind of want to ramble on more and, and hype this up more and give you some more pre-story, but this one's too good to kind of wait on. If you want to find out more about what Dan's up to currently, and as I say in this episode, Dan has an incredible ear for music and is someone who constantly discovers bands uh, 
from this place. Well, not even from this place, from, from all over the place, as you'll hear on this episode. Like We're talking about the guy who did the first Toronto show for the White Stripes when no one cared. Like <laughs> No one cared back then. And also did the first show for Pup. And also did my old, old band's first show, weirdly, as we talk about. But you can find out more at Dan underscore Burke underscore Rockscar. And uh, there's shows that he's got coming up. Uh, once again, the Monarch Tavern. He's got a class of 2024 series coming up. Uh, and great bands always on that. And always finds, as I said, the next big thing. Well, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Dan Burke unturned out a punk. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to uh, to be here at this age. I'm 65. Well, it's an honor to have you here at 65 because I knew you when I was 15, when I, I think when I first met you and, you know. Yeah, I, I remember the first yeah. time I met you. Yeah. Uh, you, were, uh, you were helping uh, Jeff Cohen uh, yep. broadcast uh, Mods and Rockers yep. at uh, the CIUT, uh, Toronto, University of Toronto uh, radio station studio. And that's a, I, I was a new kid on the block. I, I was not a kid, but I was definitely new on the block. As a, um, a club owner, actually a part owner at that time, and uh, promoter. Um, and I walked in, see if I could get some help promoting a show or two from you guys. Well, yeah, because I remember you showed up in town out of kind of you know, later on, I would find out more about your history, obviously, out of through nowhere, knowing, out of nowhere, yeah, totally. And and you came in and uh, you changed Toronto, you know, like you brought a little bit of Montreal to Toronto in a, in a big way. And a lot of the bands and a lot of the stuff you were booking in retrospect, you, you were right. You know, history proved you right about a lot of these bands that you were championing long before anyone else was. And I think I remember you doing that question mark in the Mysterian show and also high five, the road burners. I remember those two shows happening kind of close together. And those people like, you like the question mark show. I did that twice. I first that first at club Shanghai. Yep. And uh, then I did them at the Elma Combo when I had taken over as a, a booker promoter, the chief booker promoter of the Elma Combo. And that that show, that lineup was a masterpiece, if I may say so. It was Question the Mark Question Mark and the Mysterians, the Sadies, and for the opener. I went to a band I knew from Cincinnati, the Greenhorns, who later became uh, Jack White's uh, house band, or several members of the Greenhorns. And uh, anyway, I, I, who would have brought in a band from Cincinnati for an opening <laughs> slot? But I was into putting together these, these um, I, I, a show is almost like an album or, or a song. Mm-hmm. You've got a, a, a you know, a, a verse, bridge, and um, chorus. You know, it's it's it's, it's um, there's a bit. If you take it seriously, there's a bit of a construction to it, and you can uh, an equation to it, and you can create some beautiful things sometimes. You know, oh, especially absolutely. when especially when the first band 
kicks ass because um, that raises the um, that raises the level, the standard for the evening. And more often than not, the 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 following bands feed off it. So when that first band comes out, I've had bands uh, uh, come out at like middle bands come out and just kill it. Remember CPC Gangbangs from Montreal? Um, absolutely. Yeah, came out. They were opening for Streetcar uh, at the um, at the Silver Dollar, and um, they went on, and I says, "Holy jeez, I can't see Jay following this." And actually, in that case, he did. He folded about three songs in. There was some violence, and that was that was the night I I was a bit loaded myself, and I got on stage and. Jumped into the audience, got in a fight with some. Oh God, a fiasco. Any, anyway, that, that 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 that's not the best example for uh, what I'm talking about. Is is putting constructing a show which um, uh, is greater than the sum of its parts, and and I try to do that sometimes. I did it with um, uh, Didi Ramon too. Mm-hmm. I Didi Ramon uh, and with Marky on drums. And I was at the Elma Combo in uh, 2000. I, yeah, 2000. And um, I brought in the Toilet Boys from New York City for it. And if that wasn't enough, I brought in Tricky, Tricky Woo from Montreal to open up. And I think it was a Tuesday night. Yeah, it was. I was anyway, there. I remember when, <laughs> when I opened the doors, when I opened the doors for that show, the advanced ticket revenue paid off the American Canadian exchange on the uh, DD market guarantee. That's it. <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh my God. He opened the door, it was like nine o'clock in those days, even on a weekday. And there's nobody in the room. <laughs> I mean, you got to make about. Three thousand more dollars, and I'm like, oh boy! And and actually, it did splendidly tonight. But uh, I was sweating going in. I, I'd overloaded the I'd overloaded the support slots. Uh, but uh, anyway, those were great bands. That was an incredible show. I remember that show. Uh, and it was you're right. Like by the end of the night, it was packed. And it, I think that was like I I can't imagine Dee Dee played many more better shows than that at that kind of stage in his career. And his wife uh, was on uh, was on bass. She and Dee Dee too. Uh, uh, yeah, and Dee, Dee on guitar. Yeah. Dee, Dee was the front man, um, and Marky on drums. Quite a character, uh, Dee. Dee. Uh, he used to phone me after that, just out of the blue, and talk for about half an hour. You know, uh, I used to have his number. At first, he was in the Catskills. And then uh, after that, he was out uh, on the West Coast. And that, and that's where he uh, sadly uh, died, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, he was a, what a character he was. Yeah, that was the, uh, oh my gosh. Okay, I want to get to all this stuff. But I guess I want to start off, though, the way they all start off, which is, Dan, how'd you get in a punk? What was the first time you ever came across, I guess, the word or the, the genre? Or what, whatever you define it as. Okay, you know what? This this will be a bit outside the box, but uh, 1969, 
Uh, well, Iggy made it a good year, right? So, uh, an appropriate year. Uh, I'm walking down the street on the way to school. I come from a, a district called uh, Notre Dame de Grasse, better known as NDG in Montreal. It's the west side of the, of the city. And um, I'm walking uh, on Sherbrooke Street and uh, uh, in the window of um, Kresge's department store, a low-end department store. But they had a music section, you know, 45s and albums. Uh, and uh, in the window was a, um, the album, uh, The Rolling Stones, our, our greatest hits, uh, uh, Through the Past Dark, they, I think it was called. And they're all, <laughs> it was the vile uh, uh, album cover I've ever seen. They're all pressed up against the glass, their faces distorted against glass. The hair greasy. They looked absolutely delinquent, vile, you know, insolent. And I was just, I was fascinated by it. I couldn't take my eyes off it. I wasn't sure whether it'd be appalled or, or, um, uh, or, or thrilled by it, you know, um, seduced. In any case, I was seduced, yeah, by it. And um, I think if you look at that album cover now, and I mean, uh, compare with the you know the the uh, photo portfolio of the uh, Sex Pistols, and you'll see a uh, you know that 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 album cover was was uh, incredibly punk. Absolutely. In, in any case. Um, I um I I did not come from a uh, a music family or anything. Uh, actually, in my home was a, a, a no music zone. Uh, we had a we had a console, a hi fi, what you might call it. But the only records in there were were Christmas records, you know, Bing Crosby or something. And so it was used once a year for Christmas, you know, maybe Boxing Day, and that's it. My father did not approve of of uh, rock and roll, least of all the Stones, and um, uh, they were vermin, in, you know, as far as he was concerned. And uh, so uh, that was uh, my home environment. I was, I was, uh, I didn't have any older brothers or sisters listening to me as either. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Turning me on to it, but I had friends in that. Anyway, around the same time that I uh, saw that. Uh, Rolling Stones album cover in um, uh, the, the department store window. Uh, I decided, I think I should get a few records of my own. So there was another depart another low-end department store in NDG on my way to school called uh, La Salle on DeCarry Avenue. And uh, I, went on a, I went on a boosting run, uh, uh, store theft, uh, and I and I got my first three singles uh, boosted, stolen out of the uh, LaSalle department store record department, and they those those records were uh, the Rolling Stones, you can't always, uh, no uh, Honky Tonk Woman, and Na uh, uh, Na Hey Hey, Kiss Kiss Me Goodbye or Her Goodbye. The, the song that later became popular, but na 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 na. Oh yeah, na, yeah, yeah. Hey, and hey. you know what? Great R and B song, mm -hmm. fabulous song. I've gone back to 
play it many times, you know, on YouTube. And uh, the, the other one was a ball of confusion by the, uh, the fifth dimension, I think. Yeah. Fifth dimension. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they weren't very punk, those, uh, those 45s, but uh, uh, the method of acquiring them sure was. Well, and, abs uh, absolutely. But also, like, the Rolling Stones, like, they had a bad reputation in Montreal, right? Because my mom went to that Rolling Stones show when they first played Montreal, or the first, I guess, uh, maybe it was the first the show one, ever. The one, the, one where they, the one where they blew up the, uh, the whole PA, the, the, the equipment trucks, the whole PA? And they threw the chair at the DJ who came on stage. Mick Jagger threw a chair at him or something, and there was a riot. My mom said it was like... Uh, okay, that was... might have been earlier than the one yeah. at the Montreal Forum where um, the equipment trucks were blowing up. Blowing <laughs> up. I mean, this is the time. Nobody, is still, nobody still knows who did it. Um, you know, the FLQ was planting bombs then, you know. Yeah, yeah. The Quebec separatist uh, radicals. And uh, but nobody knows it is so the stones, yeah. The stones have quite a had quite a trip in Montreal. Yeah, they definitely did. They have a bad reputation, but it's also that's the birth of American garage rock. Like there's all these bands obviously that started trying to sound like the stones, and you know, right up until the Stooges, like that that eventually becomes the, well, the they, they, they were the antithesis to the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and 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 it was uh in the same way that Malcolm McLaren um shape the sex pistols you know Svengali, i think you call it yeah. um you had uh what was his name the manager of the stone andrew uh, uh yeah oldham yeah yeah oldham yeah um he um saw them as uh, uh, i mean he came up with that uh uh, publicity stunt. Would would you have your uh, daughter marry one of the one of the Rolling Stones? You know, yeah. And it completely put them at um, uh, at um, uh, in opposition of authority. You know, they were the bad boys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and but I mean, the question comes up, and and I will get into the bad boy aspect of punk and and hardcore. Um, but does one have to be a delinquent, a, a, a bad boy or a bad girl to, uh, qualify as punk? I don't think you are. I mean, um, you're a wild man on stage, but you, I mean, you're a, a, a very nice person. So is, uh, another band I was very close with us. They were developing, uh, did a, a countless shows with them were pop. Mm -hmm. uh and um who uh, I, they were called tobango when i first uh started working with them and uh later pop but uh there's a nice bunch of kids you know mm -hmm. stefan uh, stefan uh, uh the front person, the front man was um uh an incredibly sharp uh uh you know almost um uh uh, precocious, you know. Maybe he was working at uh, Arts and Craft Records with an important job, but the, uh, you know, he's just twenty years old or so, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, think... Anyway, they're nice people. But where I come from, the district of NDG in Montreal, which uh, is a big part of that documentary you saw about uh, the kings of cocaine, um, delinquency was cool and um 
the Rolling Stones were NDG's kind of band. They look like, in, in that album cover, they look like the tough guys from, you know, where I came from. And um, uh, so... Well, well, 10 years later... skip ahead. Oh, sure, go ahead. Are you, are, you, are you familiar with a band called The Discords? That's exactly who I was going to bring up to you right now. I love that band. And I was going to say, like, 10 years later... It's one of the hardest Canadian punk bands ever, the Discords that are coming out of the NDG. And, and the Discords were um, a, 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 a first wave of, of hardcore, mm-hmm. right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Very obscure well, band, but an incredible band. Well, I didn't know. I never saw the Discords play. But in grades five, six, and seven, my best friend was Bobby Henley. <laughs> and at, at the, the, and the name of the school uh, we went to was uh, Daniel O'Connell, DOC, which is now the conventional acronym for uh, uh, De- uh, Department of Corrections on, on all those prison shows, you see. In any case, it was an appropriate name for the school we went to. Christian Brothers, we got the strap every second day, you know, corporal punishment. Anyway, and uh, but uh, anyway, Bobby's younger brothers, Timmy and Terry were the uh, were the were were the discords. That's awesome. And, That's uh, wild. So I grew up with them, and I mean, I, I uh, their their uh, not theme song, but their, their their anthem was actually called NDG. You know, cops are always chasing me and fucking NDG. And uh, I can tell you because I I I grew up with them, and and both our fathers. Um, both our fathers uh, spent a bit too much time in bars. And uh, that's about all I'll say about that. But I, I know the circumstances they come from. Mm-hmm. And um, they were um, they were legitimately, they came from a place that um, is, is, you know, the, the, the most um, febrile punk hardcore breeding ground there is. And so the, the anger is legitimate, you know, the uh, delinquency is, is legitimate. And uh, uh, yeah, I, anyway, one of my, my brother had the, the 45 and I, and I, I went home, I sent them in a Toronto time. I went home once, went through my brother's record collection. He's, he's five years younger than me. And I, I said, what's this? It's the, the, the discords. Uh, it's a 45 I had. I said, well, he says, it's Timmy and Terry Hindley. I said, get out of here. I played it and I got a real kick out of it, you know? Because uh, the, oh, I love the liner notes too. The liner notes said, any unauthorized recording of this record is sub- subject to a severe beating. I thought, <laughs> oh yeah, that's NDG, all right. <laughs> well, they that's amazing thing about that record. There's no cover, just that insert. You know, it's just the the record and then the insert. Oh, like it, yeah, it was, I mean, they didn't have any money. Yeah, but they hung out. They, I mean, they were just a few. But they they grew up slightly below Sherbrooke. I was, uh, we were slightly above Sherbrooke. Uh, there was a park, this little triangular strip of grass and a couple of trees where uh, the discords and the NDG punk scene hung out, and. Um, a very very familiar territory with me and uh, for me and 
Yeah, God bless. Uh, anyway, they, you know, they ended up in, um, I think the whole family, all the Henleys are out in Vancouver now. And uh, their their dad died. He, he turned out, uh, you know, everything recovered, you know. But it, it, was a, it was a rough youth. Yeah. What about the 222s? Did you ever see that band or have any interaction with that band? No, I didn't. You know, I wasn't. Um, <clears throat> when I went back to Montreal in the... Um, I left Montreal in 1976. Okay. Uh, along with a lot of other Anglos, uh, probably including members of your family, uh, Anglo Montrealers who were fleeing uh, Quebec uh, due to the fact that uh, a separatist government was elected and, and a referendum for Quebec separation was forthcoming. That happened in 1980. The economy was absolutely decimated. And being an Anglo was even worse because um, Anglos didn't get a job in the civil service. You know, they didn't become fire firemen or, you know, very few cops or, you know, let alone at, at you know, jobs at City Hall or uh, f- forget about the, you know, working for the Quebec government. No, that was that was for um, what uh, was would be referred to as pure lane. Uh, pure wool, uh, f- uh, f- uh, French-speaking French, uh, uh, French uh, Quebecers, you know. Um, and uh, so it was, uh, it was not a good place to be economically. And so there was a great exodus of, of people. And uh, I was one of them. And like I said, your family was probably uh, am- amongst that. Um, and But then there was guys like, uh, well, the Discord, the Discord stuck around. Uh, some of their pals, that was the time when Montreal had the, um, not, not per capita, had the most bank robberies per year, uh, late seventies, early eighties. And a lot of those kids were, a lot of the were young guys from NDG. Um, one of whom I remember Donald Cryer got, uh, he finally got, he got actually shot down in a police chase by, uh, and killed by the, by the cops in NDG. Uh, but th- that, that's the environment that discords came from, you know, and yeah. so it truly was, a, a, a um, you know, uh, a legitimate uh, springboard into hardcore punk. It's also uh, like just you bring it up there. Montreal in general is like uh, like I always try and explain this to people from America that like there's no other place that functions like the city of Montreal in terms of crime. Like there's just so many layers to organized crime and it's interesting like when we had that illegal cannabis boom where all the shops popped up in toronto and vancouver it never happened in montreal because montreal everything's kind of locked down pretty tight is that right you know what i I didn't even know that but that makes complete sense also uh damien ask all the bands who've had their vans and equipment stolen in montreal from the Stooges you know? on down, right? Like Sonic Youth. I know no, Sonic Youth wasn't in Toronto. Stooges was, was the Stooges. The Stooges it happened too, but yeah. I, I could, I could, I mean, numerous bands yeah. I know personally, yeah, had their gear or the whole vehicle stolen in Montreal. And I mean, you got to be streetwise in that city. You yeah, know? yeah. You know, you don't fuck and, around in Montreal. And uh, yeah, so you're you're, you're spot on about. Uh, about that. In any case, I was I was saying that. <laughs> so during the 
70s, I first fled to Edmonton. I was in Edmonton and off and on until um, uh, 77. In 19, November 77, I, I was terribly bored there. And, uh, you know, I, I had a, 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 I was working as a, for the parts parts department of a of a recreational vehicle uh, outlet. And um, and I, I said, I got to get out of here. And I picked up, um, uh, I, I, I was into music and uh, I used to pick up a circus magazine. And I, um, I was reading circus magazine and, I, and there was a, a, a small uh, story in the back about a Toronto band called the Dios. And I was reading, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I, the guys, they sound pretty cool. I, I hadn't heard them yet. I, there was one radio station in Edmonton. There was no FM. There was one, I believe it was called Chet. And they were playing, it seemed like every hour, the Eagles, New Kid in Town. And that's what drove me out of town. <laughs> I swear to God, every hour couldn't escape that anyway so i'd read about the spend the dios in toronto i just bought a plane ticket <clears throat> quit my job and headed to toronto you know oh. I, I, I cold call uh <laughs> and um i went to see and i was looking around it said, toronto was a live music city keep in mind montreal wasn't a live music city. it was a dance club town mm. like that very big in disco you know Mm -hmm. Stanley Street, the the the, um, the um, limelight, mm -hmm. incredible club, you know, a Studio Fifty Four type, uh, and uh, uh, but Toronto, there's a lot of live music players, and I went to see um, uh, the. I was only nineteen years old, and I went uh, and I went and saw the uh, Nancy Dog and the Vile Tones. That was the name of the band, the Nancy Dog. And the wild, yeah, yeah. been withdrawn since, of course. But uh, and they were playing at Young Station, and uh, I went in. What? Uh, and I lost about half a set. I really, I really, actually, tell you know, I, as as a, an older, a '60s person, you know, having grown up with Simon Garfunkel, the Stones, and uh, just the, everything, you know, melodic, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I found that uh, the vile tones to be, uh, you know, ninety-five percent attitude uh, and uh, five percent uh, musical skill, uh, and I, yeah, I, I, I didn't take to that immediately. Um, I was, I would more, but I was listening to CFNY at the time when you could get it. CFNY, which later became Edgewood. CFNY was a very cool radio station. It was based out of Brampton, so you often couldn't get the signal in in um in toronto and i'm not sure if it'd come out yet but uh teenage head really caught my ear yeah they, um, well they they've got that more kind of melodic bend to them certainly well it's, it's rock and it, 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 there's riffs there's rock and roll but they were definitely i mean i'm sure they qualify as punk oh definitely oh my god i love that band so much like they're canadian ramones i did oh god they were hey, you know what i had them believe it was the Friday of Labor Day weekend, El Combo upstairs, 2000. And Frankie was in top form. And it was like 1980, 
7980 all over again. What a night that was. Oh my God. And uh, yeah. And so I got to work with, so anyway, you know, while I was, I, I was, anyway, in, in Toronto, I ended up going to Ryerson to uh, the journalism program, uh, which I got into, not for my marks. I only had a grade 11 education from, um, um, from Montreal. That's when high school ends in Montreal, grade 11. And I, I just started working right after that. And, um, but I, but I, I did work in Montreal on my 17th birthday. I got a job as a copy boy at the Montreal Gazette. And, uh, and, uh, that's what, uh, turned me on to journalism. And, uh, uh, the newsroom was a very cool place. Uh, the reporters, a lot of them had long hair and they're pretty rock and roll themselves. Uh, so um, I got turned on. But anyway, having, having had that job experience, uh, I didn't quite have the academic experience. I got into the uh, journalism program at, at Ryerson. I worked there for a year and a half at the Montreal Gazette. And I quit when I was 18 and a half years old because I thought I was too old for the job, you know? <laughs> Was that that like Nick Oftamar working there at that time? uh, Nick wasn't at the Gazette then. Nick Nick was a city councillor, but I became Nick. um, I became good friends with Nick. What a terrific man! And his 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 daughter, of course, Melissa. I remember Melissa from when she was five years old, and he made a character because he included her in a lot of his columns. And there was even cartoons done by uh, Aislinn, the Gazette. Uh, Montreal Gazette um, uh, cartoonist of him, of Nick and and uh, Melissa together, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got I, Nick was a, a mentor for me. You know, if I ever needed, you know, I was on a story, I didn't have any contacts on it. I phoned Nick. Nick, who do I call? You know, right right off right off the top of his head, call him. Here's the phone number. You know, and. Uh, you know, I I I when I'm in, in the uh, at the bars, he often went to, and uh, just a, a splendid guy. So anyway, I'm not surprised what um, happened um, that uh, Melissa, uh, the famous story being that she was at a show in Montreal. She obviously she was probably playing an instrument at the time, but she attended the Smashing Pumpkins' first ever show at. Um, uh, for Foon Electric and and uh, and um, and they were kind of really treated badly by the audience. And she went up, she went backstage and met with them after and said, you know, ignore what happened tonight. You you guys are terrific, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And became uh, great friends with Billy. You know, yeah. Um, and then she went on, of course, to play in Hall. And but I wasn't surprised at all that um, that. Uh, Nick's daughter would become, uh, you know, a, a famous in the in the in the rock world, uh, because it, yeah, Nick. There was a magic about Nick. Nick was an incredible guy. What a character! And he died very young, uh, very sad. My my dad told me he was called the uh, the mayor, the unofficial mayor of Montreal or something. Uh, they had like a because he was just the guy that. You know, the Minister of Nocturnal Affairs. 
the minister of nocturnal affairs. That's it. Sorry, that's he it. ran. He ran. He, he ran for federal office actually <laughs> in NDG, and uh, but he but he couldn't he couldn't knock out the uh, the uh, liberal incumbent <laughs> member of parliament uh, Warren Almond. Uh, no, uh, Nick Nick didn't win that one. And, um, he was running. He was he was a conservative. Oh wow. Uh, the Progressive Conservative Party, Maroney's Party. And Nick was anything but conservative. Nick was, Nick really couldn't be pegged to any ideology. He was a radical youth, unlike many radical youths uh, who became yuppies. He didn't become a yuppie, but uh, he did uh, uh, find his way closer to the center. In any case, it seemed like a, uh, he would have been Minister of Nocturnal Affairs. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Had he been elected, uh, so that's Melissa's uh, dad. Anyway, I hope she's doing well. She's a yeah. really nice girl. Super I've met nice. her. I've met her several times uh, in Toronto and talked with her uh, and and told her how much I loved her dad. She, you, did, you did shows for her too. I did one. I think there was there was one show I um, I had Melissa on. I, yeah, I can't remember. Was it at? Um, uh, tequila, it was Summer Shit. Dollar? I th no, I think it was Elmo. Tequila was, Lounge? Maybe it was Tequila Lounge. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, 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 a dark hall in my career, that place. Yeah. Well, but once again, you were always trying to book interesting stuff. There's I had, no, I went on the worst losing streak in history. Uh, I moved there. That was after we were, um, uh, the, the Elmo Combo building was sold. Mm -hmm. uh, my my partners, they, the business owners, Jim Ang and Lamb Deba did not have a lease, yeah, which is very bad. It's, it's good for getting a lower rent, but it's not good when you need protection against uh, eviction. Anyway, that guy, that dance studio guy, bought the building and uh, issued us immediately with a 30 day, uh, 30 day eviction notice. And we ended up getting 45 out of them, 45 days. And, um, and, uh, you know, and I tried, I, I knew it was hopeless, but I did call some meetings and we, and we, we had Olivia Chow, uh, the, the city councilor and everything. And a lot of people trying to fight this off, you know, and stop this guy from evicting us. And because we were a really successful club at the time, when I got there in, uh, at the Elmo Con in, in June of 1998, uh, that was my first show, a band called the Subsonics from uh, Atlanta. And uh, when we when we got there, when I got there, the it was on its last legs, the Elmo. There were no touring acts coming through or anything. And that summer, I was able to bring in band, uh, the Brian Jonestown Massacre I had in, um, and uh, and several several other good shows. And that that started the ball rolling. Then I started grabbing acts. Um, it was, there was no internet, you know. You weren't you weren't messaging on, on, uh, on on Facebook or email, let alone Instagram. Yeah. It was the phone, and one, one way, one of my sources was uh, Troy Sinister, of the band The Sinisters, gave me uh, B Buell's phone number in New York City. Babe, of course, is the great um, 
uh, a matriarch, I suppose you call it, of of, uh, of rock and roll, American rock and roll. Absolutely. You know, with Tyler's mom. Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, and, a legend. Was with a lot of guys. Anyway, gave me her number. I phoned her up and uh, introduced myself. And uh, she's very nice. And I said, look, I'm look, trying to get a hold of um, two bands I want to book. One, the Toilet Boys. Uh, Lower East Side, Alphabet City, New York Punk Glam. Uh, just, you know, that uh, they were they were the real, the real deal. And uh, another one was the Upper Crust from Boston. And uh, who were, uh, they were fascinating. They were, they got all dressed up in Louis the Fourteenth. Um, uh, you know, the court of Louis the Fourteenth out outfits. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they whole... played nothing, but all the songs sounded exactly like ACDC. <laughs> and it, was, it was really hilarious and brilliant. And anyway, Beeb gave me the uh, phone numbers. For people to contact, one was of course DJ Miss uh, Miss Guy, the front person of uh, of the Toilet Boys, also known as uh, DJ Miss Guy, because she was DJing too. He, he, she, uh, and um, and then there's a guy in Boston, uh, the the, uh, the leader of the Upper Crust, and um, the, I had the Upper Crust twice, I believe, but the second show. Who shows up? Janine Gar Garofalo and Will Farrell, both in town. Oh, what a party that was. They were crazy. <laughs> well, she, They're crazier she, than me. She came to your Demon Speed show. That's that right. Did. And you know what? That was the one show her, her, um, her attache called me. Um... About a week before the show or whatever, seeing if I make sure you get her in and all. I said, yeah, no problem. Don't, you know, but it, was, it all like seriously rains. I said, yeah, terrific. And uh, uh, forgive me, but I, I didn't know who she was at the time. But, I was, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know. And, uh, and uh, I actually fell asleep and didn't get to the club until like 10 o'clock and I missed everything. Um. I later brought back Demon Speed. God, but she loved Demon Speed, anyways. Yeah, which is yeah. very cool because they were, you know, they weren't that well known. No, and you booked the Swarm to open, and that was a great Swarm set. I remember that being. A, I a, did. I, I don't even remember. I'm sorry, but uh, you know, after uh, all these years and all these head injuries and all those drugs, I often don't remember certain bands. But you were there. God bless you. <laughs> I was. I, I was, was at so many shows collecting money. Oh, there was. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. there wasn't a lot of us, but the Swarm had a good draw. And, you know, as you were saying before, hardcore kids, um, you know, are honest people and they want to pay the band so that see the bands they, get paid. They are. I mean, the, the you know, what a community not dead yet is right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm close with Greg Benedetto and I, I really, I mean, the door is open to Greg anytime uh, he, he comes to me uh, for a booking, you know, at the Monarch. Um, and, uh, but, you know, listen, I gotta say, uh, I first had Demon Speed and really liked them at Club Shanghai, my first club. 
Then they came into that show. And then I said, I really like those guys. So then in the fall of 1999, I called them up and I says, guys, this is the big one. This is ground zero. I was putting together a, sh a, a, a show because it, it was 1999 and there was all that uh, um, ridiculous fear about everything shutting down. Y2K. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I put together something called The Last Rock Show. And it was two floors at the Elma Combo. And it was um, the headline upstairs was a band I I loved and desperately wanted to book. And, uh, and I finally was in a position to get them because I offered a lot of money. $3,000. The band was Danko Jones. <laughs> and when I went and made the pitch, their agent said, we want all, you know, for some reason, I never that. I was an outsider. And they said, 100% uh, down payment on it, 3000 bucks. And I'm like, two thirds. Okay, sure enough, 2000 I got to get together 2000 and I was kind of living out of pocket at that time, you know. And um, I got the $2,000 together. <clears throat> went down to um, Ralph James at the agency group. Said, here's your deposit. But about 15 seconds after I put that deposit down, Dango Jones' single went into rotation on Q107. I swear God was with me on that one. <laughs> In any case... What a night that was. Anyway, I, I, this was this band, uh, um, Demon Speed, who I loved. And I says, guys, you've got to come up and play this show. It'll be amazing for you. You know, finally deliver them a big audience. And, and yeah, they came up and they were the opening act on that uh, on that show. I forget who the middle act was. Um, was it the Snakes or Robin Black? No, no, it was one of, um, it was one of the predecessor bands to uh, Team Crud Combo. Oh, uh, shuttlecocks? It, it, no, maybe, yeah. Uh, it was John, John, John's band. John is uh, oh, hacksaw. John's last name. Was it hacksaw? John Charant? So yeah, it was hacksaw. That's right. Yeah. Correct. God, God, put me on this. No, because these are all you got like, my memory. I don't even know where my memory's gone. And you got it. You've got my childhood. Like these are all like key moments in me growing up these shows that i got to see in these bands like these were some of the greatest concerts i ever went to you know and then there's like weird shit in the elmo combo too like that uh like the role uh well, what's sorry the frogs the frogs was a weird one. Oh yeah and i lost money on that one <laughs> there was a lot i lost money on but then there was acts who came in wesley willis yeah. From Chicago. Now, you know what? I have my guarantee for him that night, his first show in Toronto, was like 150 bucks. But there was good overs, you know, an 80, 20 overs for him. I ended up paying him about that. That went viral. Mm -hmm. Wesley Willis. In the Atlantis and I ended up paying him about 1500 I paid him the But it was that was a phenomenon. And the uh, God, what a what a what an interesting character. Yeah. Um he was difficult to I I 
I ended up getting along okay, or I kind of stopped him in his tracks because um, I don't know how we got the, the subject gone into boxing somehow or something. And I, I think he was talking about Ali, and I went smoking Joe Fraser, and that just stopped him in his tracks. And uh, that was my relationship with uh, Wesley. But that, oh yeah, oh the the we- the weirdness of it all, eh? Vaseline, Vaseline, absolutely huge. Like Los Crudos, not sorry, Los Crudos. Uh, Limpress first show in Toronto at that Vaseline was one of the greatest hardcore shows ever in Toronto. That was uh, well, Monroe. Uh, some people might not know what Vaseline is. Vaseline was a queer, a queer rock uh, dance and and live night, and. Um, it came to me. Will Will was introduced to me by somebody else, and he wanted to book a Friday night for a, a queer rock night. And sure enough, that first night we started off at the downstairs at the uh, Elmo, and um, and it was it was uh, it was pretty crowded. Yeah, and it, about three or four or five. Shows to it. We had to we had to move them upstairs into the into the much bigger room, um, and uh, it was uh, it, it was incredible. I mean, uh, there was a lot more queerness to Toronto than uh, than I knew. That's for sure. You know, you know he was. Uh, I just got to say about Woman Row. I remember one time I had to uh, I had to uh, get in touch with him in a hurry. And I had a phone number for him. I phoned the number, and uh, it was um, he. It was him. He was, he was working at a uh, a gay youth hotline for troubled gay youth, and uh, and uh, I'm like, wow, that's 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 really fucking noble of you, man. Uh, and I'll tell you, he never changed the he never changed the cover. The, the the door cover five bucks of that and I told him you know well you can you can do ten man and he he never he never never would raise it he just he wanted to he wanted people to come he wanted it to be affordable he wanted to you know just wanted something to happen he was being a true artist you know he didn't care about the money you know so I'd I'd get him sometimes I would I would uh, piece him off some of my bar commissions also we got some uh, financing from uh, Labatt's once, and I put it right on him. And but you know that song, uh, the one with the lyrics "Superman never made any money." Yeah, it's yeah, you know, and Will Monroe was Superman, you know, for me. Yeah, Will Monroe never made any money. It's it's fascinating. He was fucking Superman. Uh, I hundred percent agree. Anyway, I love that guy. You know, like they say, like all great artists aren't going to appreciate it, be appreciated while they're here. It's not until they're gone that people understand them and begin to appreciate what they did. And I feel that's so true with Will. Like now seeing exhibits for his art in the AGO and he was a genius and, and he was such a community builder. Like what he did with Vaseline is build a community that, that like you're saying, it didn't necessarily exist in that way prior to or didn't have a gathering point in the way that Vaseline became a gathering point for, for people. Yeah. 
Well, he, he, he opened that bar, Beaver, mm-hmm. uh, bar restaurant. And that was the last time I saw him, you know. Uh, and I went in there. I just thought, well, I'll go support Will's thing. And I went in there to get a meal. And um, looking around the place. And I told him, hey, Will, you know what this place reminds me of? I says, in the late 70s, 80s, there was a place called, very hip, very hip place, called the Fiesta on Young Street, north of Bloor. And he went, oh, I can't believe you said that. He says, that was exactly what I was shooting at, you know? <laughs> exactly the direction I was looking at for this place, you know? And, uh, and he had a <coughs> general idea. Uh, artwork, I guess it was a reproduction. But, uh, yeah, boy, oh, boy. Well, went too early, you know? Absolutely. I really... You know, but one of these people that just, like you're saying, rippled positivity that will be felt for generations in the city, like changed, like changed the city in a, in a way that like groundbreaking. Yeah. Vaseline was Vaseline was, uh, you know, you think of when I first came into the when I opened up that club, Club Shanghai back in the day, Gary Cormier, a, a, a legendary promoter, fellow Montrealer. He came from Rosemount District. Uh, he came, and I heard someone came to me later and said, Cormier loves that place. He says, the closest thing to a New York club in Toronto. And I'm like, wow. And, of course, I, I had a good sense of history. of If you go to Montreal, nightlife is like the primary industry, you know? Mm. And so you 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 get attuned to it. And, and nightlife... Is um, you see it as an essential part of of culture, you know, and so when I um, opened up that club Shanghai, I was quite sure the direction I wanted to go. We had two floors. Was one floor was gonna be live, the other floor was gonna be dance, dance, and I was, you know, leaning going more urban, um, and uh, we did some stuff in that respect. But um, a lot of cool hip hop stuff. Happened. My whole idea, what my whole idea when opening, what you want. This is the, the, the target. You want a club that will be synonymous with an era, like Studio Fifty Four, like CBGBs, or in Montreal, Limelight, great dance club. You know, uh, and uh, you, you, that's what you, that's what you're aiming for, and um, so. For me, I I was I, that ended after a year for me that club of Shanghai, but for me, Will Monroe's uh, night, his his club night, his monthly club night, uh, Vaseline, that was synonymous with an era, you know. By the way, I got a call from Procter and Gambler, whoever it was, and um, and uh, they they jumped up like a big law Bay Street law office from uh you know uh toronto and uh jump on me at the elma Carmel, phone me up and say vaseline this is a trademark infringement and they issued papers and everything so i had went to willie and i says geez well we got to change the spelling hey i had bow wow wow at uh i'm just looking at some notes i put up i had bow wow wow at uh, club shanghai oh <laughs> it was great too and they told me when, when they said it's it's uh, um, Anna was her name yeah the, the front woman yeah uh, and um, 
and she was the face of that, obviously, the superstar. And they said, it's the same bass bar. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, so what, the bass bar? Boy, night of show. Was that bass player ever good? That was the end of my so what is the bass player. Yeah, bass players can be really something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm pretty pedestrian when it comes to music. I'm not a, you know, I, I, I don't know how to read a note. No, I don't know how to play an instrument. Same here. Same. That's my, uh, that's my. Uh, yeah, I know, I've done what you've done. Yes. I've seen you do it. Yeah, I've done what you've done. Because I, I had to experience what it was like. And, uh, you know, that and, and that experience is one time we were rehearsing. It was, it was always covers what I what I do. Uh, one time I wrote a song of my own and recorded it with some guys, but uh, covers. Anyway, I had to do a rehearsal with these guys. And um, we were, it was season Mary Chain, uh, a couple of songs. And uh, there was no rehearsal space for us. So I took them. I had a show at the Silver Dollar and downstairs to the comfort zone. It wasn't being used. So I brought them into the comfort zone. We hadn't have, there was no vocal mic though. There was no, no, it's just a couple of amps. And so I got a broomstick. And I said, so, so I'll, I told them, I'll just go through the motions. And when they kicked in on the song, fuck the motions. I was all in on it. And that was a, such a revelation to me about the magic of rock, how it, how it is transporting. Um, and, and transports the players when, when it's all together. And also, I realized I haven't felt like this since playing organized team sports as a kid. Mm. It's, 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 it's the, um, the group, the, the shared achievement of it, you know? Yeah. And um, I, I felt like, you know what? When the band is on and you're on it, I've never surfed. I think it's like you're catching a wave and you're riding that curl, you know. And whoa, what a feeling it is! And and I um uh, I got a a glimpse of that once. I had a band called the Chrome Cranks at and what a band! Incredible band. And Peter was the friend name's name. Friend man's name was Peter, and um uh he. I saw him very early in the show. His eyes rolled back into his head and he reached up and he started, I reached up and started grabbing at the ceiling. Like, it's like doing weird, you know, like possessed shit. And anyway, I love that set. And well, I went up to him after I said, Hey, Hey Pete, that was really great, man. How was it for you? And he says, I can't remember most of it. So it was probably pretty good. <laughs> there you go, man. The magic of uh, rock and roll, rock, punk rock. I mean, whatever it is, that isn't something. Eh? Yeah. It's something. It's a mystery. Eh? Yeah. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, like, one of the legendary Shanghai shows is a band with no bass player, right? The first White Stripes show ever in Toronto. Was that opening for Question Mark the first time they played? No, 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 no. <laughs> Could have put the whole audience home in the same cab for that show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, here's what happened. I was, what I was, was uh, I was a part owner of that club, Shanghai at the time. So I'm, I'm trying to find people. I don't know the ropes. I don't know anybody. I started knowing people in a hurry because I was formerly being a journalist, picking up the phone and calling somebody's no problem for me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Saying, hey, you want to play this car or whatever. But anyways, I, I didn't know that many people. I was starting to build my, my repertoire of contacts. And um, I, we opened in July 97. And uh, probably in August or... It had to be in August, I guess. A guy named um, Bernie, Bernie Pleskish. He's in Bangkok. Satan's arch enemy God. Came, phoned me, and uh, or left a voicemail, a lot of voicemail in those days, and said he wanted to do something called Rocktoberfest. And he says, uh, one weekend night, every uh, week of October, we're going to bring up a band from Detroit and uh and have a, 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 a toronto act accompany them and um i said yeah sure sounds cool because and the reason that, that was that i was all in immediately on that was because the first month we were open and it was no, would it, july would have been the end of july or august of 1997 um, a band called the Wild Bunch from Detroit came up and they blew me away. They were a rock, they were a rock and roll garage band. Uh, I was working also with John Bunch, uh, Johnny Dovercord, late, later created Wavelength. He was bringing, they were bringing in acts too, him and his crew, but they were more indie rockers. I didn't like too much. I says, what's with these people? They're wearing the same clothes they wore all day when they get on stage, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's where I was at back in. Anyways, but this band of wild ones, I like them. So as soon as I heard Detroit, I says, you got it. <laughs> Bring Detroit on. <laughs> and, you know, and, and as it turned out, there was a real, quite a scene happening down there. 
That's right. Yeah. And of course, the Wild Bus were one of the Wild Bus later became the Electric Six, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, anyway, uh, fantastic so single. That first single they have is uh, unbelievable. That that Wild Bunch single, that first one, the yeah, yeah. four song EP, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what a band they were alive. Oh yeah. And in any case, so Wild Bunch were one of the four bands who were going to play this Rocktober Fest. So we're Bantam Rooster, uh, and um, I forget the Gorgor Girls. Uh, in any case, we had this thing, Oktoberfest, and the White Stripes were, you know, the Detroit headliner one of the night, Detroit, Detroit guest. The opening band, believe it or not, was um, Teenage Hooker. Wait. Uh, Oh, high school hooker. That's it. What a name. Holy God. <laughs> you know, the next time I saw Jack White, um, Elliot Lefko, the great promoter, uh, I was House of Blues at the time, had the White Stripes at um, at uh, uh, the Cool House. Uh, big, big, huge 2000 venue. And he made me co-promoter. He acknowledged uh, me, and I wasn't even quite <coughs> the promoter of that Rocktoberfest, but uh, I was given credit for it. I haven't been given credit for some other stuff, so I'll take it, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it, it sort of evens out at the end of the day. Uh, and he made me a uh, co-pro of uh, that, you know, and I got a cut of the money and stuff. Which, I don't know, 500 bucks. That was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the best thing about, but I went up to, in the in the dressing room after, uh, I uh, introduced myself to Jack and Meg. And um, the first thing he said to me was, how are the high school hawkers doing? I said, oh man, I can't believe you remember. <laughs> high school hawkers were a band that originated from Hamilton. <laughs> and uh, Jelly was... Uh, and uh, he was a he was a character, but he was he was a hell of a rock and roller. But he had um, just as I did, uh, he had um, uh, what would you call him? Substance mm. abuse troubles, mm. which he later recovered from, as I have. And um, and uh, anyway, Jack White, I couldn't remember the mem- I couldn't believe the memory he had. Yeah. And he seems to have he seems to be pretty good at the Beatles. Uh, the, the the Beatles test too, right? He's he is definitely uh, you know like you. That's like you'd hope that if you get that level of stardom and that level of money, that you would do as much cool shit as he does with it. Like it's just like, oh, he does rad reissues. He does this cool music magazine. It's just like, yeah. And I met him one time, and that guy's uh, like, I don't know if he was ripped back then, but oh my god, he's jacked to hell. Well, he sure be, he sure he sure nailed the guy from uh, Von Bondi. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, he hit that kid hard. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You wouldn't want to. I guess you wouldn't want to mess with Jack. He was a big guy. You know that. You know Americans are kind of bigger than us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he struck me as the meaty kind of uh, six foot uh, six one six two American. Yeah, you know? yeah, that beefy college athletic looking type. That oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> just happens you to know? play really well at rock and roll. 
as well as probably he, sports. He, I mean, I mean, Josh Godfather, a lot of people. You know, he uh, brought um, a band I'm working with closely now called, uh, they're um, a rockabilly band, surf rock, uh, called Itchy Bones. Mm. And um, part, uh, uh, they're a trio. Uh, two of the members are Japanese. Uh, okay. And, uh, and uh, Jack had them uh, play two of his shows down in the, uh, uh, southwestern U.S. on his uh, last tour last fall, and uh, and then the Beastie Boys doing really. I got him uh, at the Horseshoe in May, coming up. I got to announce that show soon. Uh, with uh, Dave Monks, Dave Monks of Tokyo Police Club's got a new band called Max, and they're terrific. So I'm kind of excited about that show. I don't get excited that well, not that many shows excite me anymore. I probably shouldn't say that as a promoter, but 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 I still got I still got it in me to get uh, to get revved up about a show. Well, Cone was just on uh, from Sum Forty One, and we were talking about their early shows at the Elma Combo, and Sum Forty One's like that was like kind of their launching pad was playing you know opening for Ten Foot Pole at the Elmo or playing different shows there. I put them on that show. Yeah. That was an Elliot Lefko show. I put them on that show. I put them on a North by Northeast show. Uh, back then, North by Northeast used to dump clubs. They just put together rosters and dumped them on clubs. And I noticed that a lot of bands were coming in. And uh, uh, the one year I wasn't involved, I was Booker Dale McCombe, but I saw they're putting in these fucking shows. These poor kids are coming from, you know, hundreds and thousands of miles away. And they're playing to nobody yeah. because the show wasn't put together properly. And the following year, I says, "Yeah, I'll work with you, but I got a I got a veto on these shows, and I'm I'm putting in some of my own acts." And that uh, uh, Teen Club Combo was an act I put on, uh, I believe, and uh, some forty one, and there was a, a number of acts. You know what I mean? You need some you need some local meat here, uh, to and these type of bands weren't applying to. Uh, to North and Northeast because they saw for what it was a big fucking battle of bands, you know, well, that, an adult battle of bands. Well, that, that, uh, Tinker combo show is one of my favorite shows ever like that. It's such a, that was like one of the greatest Tinker combo shows, Nick coming out, throwing flowers to the crowd. And then we all, yeah, yeah. we went all over to Mary Margaret O'Hara's house for a party afterwards. Do you remember that? Is that did I go? Yeah, you were there. It was like you. Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of close. I was kind of close to Mary Margaret for a while, did, and we went to us. I took the Bell Race there once. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Bell Race from LA crashed over at Mary Margaret, uh, Mary Margaret's house. You know? Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, Mary Margaret, another great character. Another great, you know. Oh, it was a crazy night. I, it was like you, me, Dave Foley, uh, Dave Doman from Swearing at Motorists was there. Uh, obviously, Nick, Allison, Esther. It was like a, a real. F- oh wow! <laughs> it was a fun time. Mary Margaret, eh? yeah, it was fun. At Mary Margaret O'Hara's house, just like oh, Canadian music legend, and she just opened her house to this yeah. after party from the Teen Crow Combo show. Oh, jeez, eh? But I guess that's oh, through I you. <laughs> it's, it's 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 faintly coming back to me. <clears throat> like I said, I've I've lost a lot of my memory. Now I know who's got it. You got it. <laughs> Well, I think that's the thing is like, for me, these were like things that were happening like once in a while, you know, like this would be like something like, you know, these are pivotal moments for me, but you're doing this every night, you know, like there's music coming through every night and there's just, 
Oh, so many legends. Like, like one thing that came up on the show, Max, when he was on from the Deadly Snake, said the story about how you came into working with Club Shanghai. And I want to hear your kind of version of that uh, event. How did that all come to be? Well, that came to be, okay, I was um, in, in, in uh, Cold Snowstorm, um in 1995 i was a journalist i was working at the fifth estate cbc great job i was actually an associate producer at that time but i struggled with drugs my drug of choice being free based cocaine aka crack uh and uh anyway i just left work one day in 95 and never went back I think I was, it was probably a notepad on a desk left in mid-sentence of an interview. And that was the end of me there. I just, yeah. And they tried to get me back and all. And I I said, no, no, man, I'm gone. And uh, so I'd become a 24-7 crackhead, you know, based in Regent Park. Uh, and, uh, and anyway, uh, I went through that for about a year. A year, I went out west to try to uh, shape up. Worked as a, as a crab fishing boat, and uh, anyway, I never come back to uh, Toronto. And um, a friend of mine somehow, somehow knew these people. This couple who owned two buildings on um, on Spadina, and um, and one of them had a a sort of a, a hall on the third floor and, and, a, and a pool hall on the next floor. And they were having trouble with the uh, Chinatown gangsters. Um, at, the, at that time, there would have been still some um, uh, Vietnamese street gangs and they were having trouble. So they they heard a, a friend of theirs, uh, uh, another um, Asian, Toronto Asian business person, uh, had, a, had owned a club called... Um, uh, the Lions Den up on college and they were putting in bands and it was doing really well. So they wanted to put in bands. They wanted, and I, and my only credentials was that I was uh, Occidental, a Guaylo, you know, I'm, I'm a white guy who speaks English and might know some, you know, so that's my world. Well, it wasn't quite my world. Uh, but I says, yeah, coming from Montreal, nightclub, eh? Yeah, let's create a nightclub. I says, there's going to be a little more to it than that. Oh, then get into the, the PAs, even that sign. I created the name Shanghai. Anyway, uh, we have open up a club. I, I got sober for three months, clean and sober. And um, for three months, we put that together. And a lot of design was my own and stuff just, just passed together. Ended up looking pretty good, though. It was a pretty interesting looking place. Oh, God, yeah. It was like, uh, it was amazing because there was the two floors. And, yeah. And, and the elevator. Yeah, and you ne you hope the elevator never opened on one of the other floors because you never knew what was going to be happening when that elevator <laughs> opened up. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Is that Dante's Inferno or something? I guess so. It was uh, like, it was like, it never opened. What level? <laughs> yeah. Because it, it, it was like, was it four, fourth floor had the big room? And the, four, the, the no, the, the third floor was the big one. Okay. And where we did uh, blow up uh, uh, for a while. 
where Bow Wow Wow played, where um, uh, Sick of It All. Yes, that and when people trash the ceiling, pulling down the ceiling. Jesus, that's a story I wanted. I wanted to touch on. Yeah, um, that huge. That's the birth of Toronto hardcore. My era. That show we talk about it all the time on this show. Are you kidding? Oh God, yeah, that was a huge moment for like I was going to shows before that, but in terms, yeah, of, yeah, in terms of who was coming out to that show. And who I met in the pit that day. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, the crowd. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. But, no, no, but hardcore already started. Oh, absolutely. Here, my, but, I mean, yeah. my era, my era in particular. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were just a kid, and it was an all age show. Yeah. Um. Uh. Anyway, the, the the club and and the and the fourth floor was was the live room. Yeah. Um. So that's where, jeez, uh, the White Stripes, Nico Case, um. Brian Jonestown Massacre uh, and um, my band Star- Demon Speed, our, our boys Demon Speed. My band Starting Block. Well, really? Yeah, we played there with Reset, who would go on to become Simple Plan, and DBS, who okay. never showed up. Is that right? Eh? Yeah, that night. It was such an important venue. Like you said, there's you want to make a venue that's tied to an era. That, to me, is 100% tied to an era, and it's tied to an era of pre-canadian music being taken seriously internationally so you have lo- we, lost, we only lasted one year yeah but it's, and that's a huge year you know huge year that you know i went to henry um what was it about shirley shirley and henry who were the building owners uh hong kong hong kong taiwan chinese uh and um I went to Henry once and said, Henry, we got to have inventory on the bar or else, you know, people can steal. And he says, ah, inventory, it's, 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 a, it's a waste of time. And I told him, Henry, what are you talking about? I says, I'm going to go to all of corporate America and tell them, inventory, you're making a big mistake. It's a total waste of time. Anyway, I mean, it was just doomed financially because there was going to be no inventory <laughs> i mean you got to take inventory in the business you know i'm sure you, i'm sure you do on your t-shirts and your 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 term arts, right yeah oh definitely <laughs> um in in any case um so yeah there's two floors to the club and uh well, another show that's who else, who the, oh god who else played there? oh no here's a legend uh, anyway. here's a legendary one in that room for you yeah yeah promise ring and grade double booked with stigmata and blood for blood so stigmata and blood for blood had to go on at 3 30 in the afternoon uh <laughs> to, to like no one and then promise ring and great all three bands all four bands sorry are now legendary bands but yeah, yeah. neither well i guess promise ring had a really good turnout that night but poor stigmata and blood for blood definitely had no one show up that was the night he um i was down I was downstairs in the third floor of my office, uh, smoking um, smoking rock, and uh, and I had a a, a girl of similar um, my ilk with me, and uh, and it spread, but I was totally appalled by it. Yeah, <laughs> totally appalled, and it was a time. And I'm, when I heard this later, I just. What the hell? God forbid that I bring drugs and sex into into you know into the good name of rock and roll. <laughs> I just, I well, here's here's another wrinkle to that story. 
I was the one. I came down first because you wanted me to come down and get a CD to play on mods and rockers, and walked in on it and was like, "Oh my god!" and went back upstairs. <laughs> I guess as a kid, you were. I guess was, I was shocked. I was, I was a little tough for you as a kid. It was a very eye-opening okay. experience for me as a young person. <laughs> well, yeah, um, yes, and I know you're. You've you've never, you've never gone uh, sideways with that kind of stuff. Uh, well, I, and. Um, Oh well, you know no what? Judgment, what no is, judgment, no judgment, absolutely. And even then, there was it, no it judgment. It was what it was, but I'll tell you what, I'm. Uh, I don't recommend it. I don't. I don't. I don't. Don't recommend that lifestyle. A lot of pain. Um, one. Uh, I I did want to bring up that you brought off of the top, but the infamous Jay Riotard show, which was the yeah, um, yeah, which is also Jay was at uh. Well, Jay had his struggles, obviously, as we all know, and 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 ultimately, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it cost him his life. But I think that for Jay was at a point where he was temporarily sober, and I think was at running really hot. And that show, I think, in retrospect, is is one of those shows that if it it would have been one of the greatest shows of all time, <laughs> if it had gone one way, we'd all look back upon it as being like one of the greatest shows ever in Toronto, but now it's one of the most, it's still one of the greatest shows ever. It's just one of the most infamous shows ever. The greatest show, the greatest Jay retard show ever, because I, I was doing all, I was doing lost sounds. Yeah. I did two lost sound shows and two, maybe three, uh, Jay retard shows before collective concerts came in. And and that night was a collective concerts night. I I was just a house booker, but I developed a big relationship with Jay. You know, I got you know, done a lot of shows with him. But the 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 second Lost Sound show, which was their finale uh, tour, that was a that was the most amazing ever. Uh, um, what's her name from Metric? The front the front woman Emily Haynes. Emily, Emily was at the show, and. Um, it was one of those nights. They were so good out on the patio after Emily um, introduced herself to me, said, I'm with a band called Metric. I said, oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, she said, I'd really like to play here. I said, OK, and I've got a phone number and we tried to. We never pulled together. But uh, so she had a great time that night. You know, as a promoter, sometimes you can't control stuff. But um, well, and Jay was uh, real. Like, that's the thing about people. Like a lot of people in music, it's an act, right? Like we go back to the Rolling Stones. We're talking about like that. That's that's a put on in a lot of ways. The character that they're doing up there with Jay, well, it was real. Like it was never, and it was always scary in a in a way or dangerous in a way. Well, you know what happened is I was in. I was high. I was drinking and doing drugs, and um, but I, I was a functioning. Alcohol, drug, obviously. Mm -hmm. I couldn't have done all these shows without it. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I heard a, a ruckus. I was in the kitchen, I think, the, the back room. And uh, I came out, and Jay's leaving the stage. So I thought, well, me having the longest relationship with him, I, I can talk him out of this. So I went up on the stage. I said, Jay, 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 what, what's the problem? What's the problem? You know, as soon as I start talking to him, some kid from the fucking floor spits on us. So I left off the stage and started swinging. 
By the time I get back, <laughs> Jay's gone. And I felt really abandoned. Not to, not to be therapeutic about that. Yeah, I did feel, you motherfucker. I just left off and said, look, I was spit on us. And you're fucking off? And that's when I got on the mic and started saying, fuck, Jay, I wanted the CBC hangers to play again. Of course, it wasn't feasible. Uh, but uh, then I said, mentioned something. Poor Craig, I mentioned something about, fuck, give, give the people all their money back. And uh, that that wasn't good for Craig. And Craig and I were were close, you know. And I really, I, you know, that's one of the many uh, just a, a small snapshot of regrets I have. I would not have behaved that way, you know. These days, I'm like, I bring a couple of magazines for me to do the door at my shows, you know, to while people aren't coming in to read, and I'm business like. I got receipt, you know, man. In those days. I could have done a much better job had I uh, not been I. But you know what? It wouldn't have been as much fun <laughs> at the time. I, I think that I think it's I think that's sadly, uh, you know, like, and I don't mean to make light of what you went through at all in any sort of way because these things have become kind of like legends, and these are moments that are like maybe not great memories for you, and they become things that people kind of story like like the, you know and i don't want to bring up a painful one but the john dwyer uh incident oh well, yeah i'll bring that up because that's like th these are well these are like moments that have become hey, that, legendary but they're like sorry go on combo of, of that's a combo of the functioning alcoholic i got a show with these guys uh and i booked them i don't really i didn't really like the music but they were on uh Larry's label in the red. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, so I booked him. I'm good enough to do a show with him. I don't have a small guarantee and whatnot and put on a show. And um, the day of the show, or advances to uh, well after loading, they haven't shown up. And I got no means. I can't get a hold of them. And I'm like, are they coming or what? When should I open doors? Da, 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 da. You know, when do I get the show started? Uh, and I phoned. I got on the phone and phoned the Detroit venue. They played the night before. Yeah. To see if they played. Guy picks up the phone. I says, hey, uh, sorry to bother you. I'm calling from uh, Toronto. I got a bank called the hospitals tonight. They played at uh, your club last night. And the guy, before I didn't finish the sentence, said, showed up late. And didn't even phone. I went, okay, got it. So I piped the phone and I waited. Anyway, so I got there late, no sounds, no nothing. And I start the show. And I, you know, there might have been three opening acts in those days. You know, we started a bit late, I guess. But one of them was the main support act was a band called the Vulcan Dub Squad. who played on stage with executioner's hoods over their heads. Okay. And um, anyway, they're up uh, on stage playing their set uh, towards the end of it. I'm at the bar with Sean Dean of the Sadies. And I noticed the, the hospital setting up their gear at the end of the room. I thought, oh, scraped they're, they're getting all set up so they can get right to the stage, you know. And I don't know how they got the vocal mic going, but all of a sudden they started playing. 
while the band on stage was still playing. So I'm glancing back and forth and on stage, despite the fact that they got executioner's hoods on their faces, I can see the blood draining from their from their skulls, you know, of the, the horror, the embarrassment, the humiliation, you know? And uh, I look back at the side and I, I looked over at Sean. I had a shot. I downed the shot. I said, Sean, these motherfuckers think they're bad. They picked the wrong town. So I walked over. And what I did, it's in the video. I grabbed the vocal mic, right? Mm -hmm. That drummer got up. He had the vocal mic, the drummer. He got up and uh, shoved me pretty hard. That was it. Gloves are off. So I smoked in pretty good. I got about eight shots or so. Lefts and rights. I was quite proud of myself. Jabs and hooks. Uh, and, uh, and somebody broke up the fight. And, and then... Uh, and then I was still, you know, when you get in a fight, I, I don't think you're a fighting guy. You're, you're, I've been in a few, but I know, yeah. I'm not, I'm, yeah. I'm but what happens is the adrenaline starts going. Yeah. And I was, anyway, I, I picked up the snare drum from the uh, cat and just winged it, at the, and it in the direction of the bar, you know, down at, not high, but down at about knee level. And it hit uh, one of Dwyer's guitars. And uh, or his guitar, and uh, and uh, well, you know, next thing I know, or I didn't see it coming, I got smashed right in the back of the head by that guitar. And I tell you, you know, they say you, you see stars, you know, when you get hit and you see stars. I saw a supernova on that one, <laughs> I can imagine. And then I felt the shots coming in the back of my head, and I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself around, you know? I was knocked out on my feet, if you say, but I was, had an awareness that I was catching shots to the back of the head. Anyway, so it somehow got broken up. I ended up in the washroom and, uh, um, uh, what's her name? De uh, Dina? Deanna? From, uh, from T-Grub Combo? Oh, Allison Baker? No, uh, not Allison Baker, the other girl. Oh, Jamie Towns? No, there was, she's another, or was she in teen? Anyway, she came in and said, Dan, that was wrong. And she was, she was a, she was a hardcore girl. Yeah. And she was very nice to I me. Mean, Sean Dean came in, of course. And uh, anyway, you know what? I just, I went around the corner to, I said, well, I'll just let them play the show. And uh, I went around the corner to um, Oasis. There was a bar called Oasis around the corner. Went there, had a few drinks and then looked, you know, looking at my watch and saying, well, and so, so I better get back and settle them. And I felt it would be like a hockey game, you know, like, hey, wow, crazy. Hey, we got enough scraps, right? But that, or, you know, you know, shake hands kind of thing. And so when I turned the corner up Spadina, uh, they were loading out outside, and there was a sort of, I remember, I sort of a horseshoe of people around them as they're loading out. And I walk up, and, uh, and like I said, I was ready to shake hands. And uh, Dwyer saw me. Looked at me and he says, motherfucker, you owe us money. I looked at him. I reached into my pocket, pulled out a water bills, put it back to him in my pocket and said, yeah, take it off me. And stood there. And he didn't do a fucking thing. So, yeah, I kind of like that, that guy's a. Uh, 
I get, listen, I don't hate anybody. It's, hate hate's not a good thing to carry around. Um, but I did no, I don't like John Dwyer. I think there's an understandable. And, but piece. later, and later he auctioned that that guitar for a charity. And um, Greg Benedetto came to me. Was great. No, John Shouten of Teen Anger came to me and he was involved in it somehow and uh, said, Dan, would it be okay with you? It was nice of him to check if we, if we auctioned the guitar that you got almost decapitated with. Uh, and, and I said, you know, that's for a charity. I'll, yeah, I'll go along with it. But I was really, you know what? Uh, I, I was What really pissed me off was uh, I, I read some John Dwyer wrote about it and he, and he said something like, I, I don't need this guitar anymore. It's just like, and it was kind of like, well, yeah, you're just dumping it then. You're not, it's not a donation to some charitable uh, cause. You're just like, I don't need it anymore. Here, take it, you know? That's well, a bad attitude, you know? So uh, that guy ever wants to drop the gloves again, I'm on. Uh, I'm on. I, I hope there's, I hope there's a peaceful um, re, uh, reconnection at some point. I hope that, that finally that hockey post-fight hockey handshake can happen because it's well i don't think he was i don't think he's capable of it he i think now he probably would be i think at the time like you're saying the adrenaline firing off you know like i think it yeah it, it, a, lot, a lot of adrenaline involved yeah i i do also uh it's you know not once again to make light of it or to to turn it into something more than it it was or or something that different than it was but here's this guitar now becoming one of the most infamous guitars in this genre of music, you know, and a genre that you helped build in Toronto, like the deadly snakes, like uh, death from above. Like th these were bands that you were the champion of teen crud combo, the greatest Toronto band ever. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're your faves. I, yeah. I would say if I'm like, I would say them, the swarm are the bands for me that were like pivotal as a young person. That right, eh? Oh God, yeah. Like Nick, cool. you know Nick, and now Nick's obviously well. Nick's been a friend forever, but like, I think he was just as a young person up there. He's like the he was such an incredible front person. And obviously, Allison on guitar, Jamie, Mark, and then Bubby on drums. Like it was always good. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, they were part of my. Uh, those were people I was close to. You know, I I still see Nick. Mm -hmm. And um, and Allison was terrific. Um, the comedy battle between you and Nick. Those were people I cared about. I, I did have, I was, you know, I've, I've, I came into this as an outsider. I've, I've always been an outsider, you know, as far as the industry is concerned. Um, and uh, and I, I can't blame anybody for that. I was, you know, I was a, a, a bull in a china shop, you know, uh, often, but uh, but there was over over the years, yeah. Geez, I've uh, got to meet some uh, terrific people, people I really liked, you know. Uh, Detroit, Detroit was a, Detroit were great guys. I, I like Detroit. Well, yeah, like in your, you know, the Zoo Bombs, like the bands from Japan, bands from, oh yeah, you know, like the, these bands that you were like championing, building up in this city, like you put on these bands. And as you're saying, like <laughs> there might not be enough people to fill a, fill a taxi cab home after the show, but some of these bands have gone on and become legendary. Yeah. Huge bands. Um, 
Oh boy. Uh, I got to ask you, uh, there are two legends that I, I heard about. And once again, if you don't want to talk about this stuff, we don't have to, but they, okay. you died twice. One time outside of a Jimi Hendrix tribute night at the Elma combo. And another time that, I mean, when your, your heart stopped on the table. My heart stopped on the table where I heard you got uh, attacked outside of a Jimi Hendrix night. Why? Oh yeah. 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 And that you, um, you know, I mean, you know what happened that night? I was doing the door. It was a spectacular night. It was a Tuesday of a bonanza. It was packed. And, um, my girlfriend at the time was at the bar and I went over to, stand with her. There was a guy beside her and I tapped him on the shoulder and asked him to move. He looked at me and then turned, just turned right back around. And I just pulled him around and fucking smoked him three times. Kind of drove it like a cartoon, drove him out the door with punches. Which was a very NDG, which is a very, you know, delinquent NDG thing of me to do. Just, But I, I you know, I was drunk. And I don't know what happened after. I don't remember. Was I dead? That's what I, I remember I, hearing. I, I, I had a fractured skull. Yeah. But I, when I woke up in the hospital, a day I was in a coma for a couple of days. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, when I woke up, I just, I ripped all the tubes out. I said, I want to go home. Which wasn't a great idea. And now we, we know about concussion protocol yeah. and all that. Especially going back to the concerts after that. Yeah. What was the other time? Uh, I, I heard it was you going to England. You don't have to talk yeah. about it. Once well, you again. know what? That was the, that was the night I, I, I double booked with that trip. I left on that trip. And um, anyway, I was in Manchester for a week and uh, totally immersed in the drug world. The districts of uh, Hume and Moss Side um, was for quite notorious. And uh, yeah, I was with a uh, uh, cab driver, she was. Nice girl, anyway, got along terrific and uh but we were doing drugs and heroin was her uh was her drug of choice mine was rock and uh anyway we were doing both and she hit me with a shot and it was like oh i i just stood up right after dinner and says wow that's a big one and uh, next thing i know i'm on a i'm on a stretcher going out <laughs> in the elevator i don't know how she was able to get the uh ambulance down and whether I, whether, I don't know what they're doing. My chest was kind of sore afterwards. So they'd probably give me a few shots in the chest. If not the, uh, if not the Pulp Fiction needle, yeah. you know, that's, 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 a, uh, because I was kind of bruised in my, uh, middle of my chest. Um, so I don't know. Anyway, I mean, you, you told me that, about Keith Richards, you know, I'm kind of lucky and, uh, well, you're a survivor, you know, you're a survivor, like even for, yeah, Andy. there's been other, I've had a, I've had guns to my head too and stuff like that. But uh Wow, that's amazing. You know that that um catching the curl of the wave, mm -hmm. surfing as I what I mentioned earlier? Yes. 
Well, not only has that worked for you, that's worked for you to see the world. Oh, absolutely. You've got this, 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 um, uh, art you do has, uh, given you a surfboard to, you know, surf the world. Yeah. Oh, it, what, a, and it, what a beautiful thing. Eh? And it starts at club Shanghai. It starts opening for breakdown at club Shanghai with my band starting block. Ah, you would have, you would have found somewhere else. I appreciate that, but <laughs> you would have found somewhere else to play. Well, you had it in you. Well, they, we, but there was all every, everywhere else was a battle of the bands, you know, and like you know, even the opera house. Like you could play the opera house, but you pay like you'd have to sell twenty five tickets to your friends to get some terrible slot. You took chances. Yeah, yeah. You took chances on bands. Like you would be like, ah, come down. What do you do? I remember you calling my house all the time, being like. Hey, Damien, who's good for this show? Who should I get for this show? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were one of my early contacts. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Back at Mods and Rockers days. And, and it's, you know, I can't even, I, I, damn, those phone books are long gone. And, <laughs> oh, God. I, I still have, actually, I don't know if I still have it, but somewhere I had the bionic tape that you taped me for because they were coming to play. At Shanghai, and you're like, I got. I'll give you a tape of Bionic that I'll uh, that they just sent me, and you can play it on Mods and Rockers. And, it, and I went yeah. down and picked it up to play it on Mods and Rockers and stuff. Oh, right Bluebird. Like, I remember so many bands, so many bands that people talk about now that that have followings and have an audience. Like they were just like Tricky Woo, Tricky, Tricky Woo, Woo. Trick, the, uh, Boy, I like them. Space Shits. The spaceship show at the Shanghai is. I watched the video the other day. What, a, like, an unbelievable performance! Yeah, they were brought to me by the Deadly Snakes. <clears throat> Deadly Snakes. So they only, they, they only, Deadly Snakes were um, dismissive of it, just about everyone and everything. Mm. But they, they looked up to the spaceships. Yeah, yeah, the spaceships were. You know, like like Teen Crit Combo, like one of these bands that if you got to experience it, you're blessed because not a lot of people were there in these rooms, but everyone that was will tell talk talks about the power to this day. I've seen thousands of well, bands. I'm sure there's stuff happening today that the, the, the younger kids now are oh absolutely are you're gonna remember the same way we remember stuff you know dude you're still doing these shows you know like you're still oh, doing it for uh, the next generation of kids you know like that's the yeah the the reality is like <laughs> you're the constant right like that's the well, thing i've gone by thing every year it's it's a nice template it's uh called the class of and whatever the year is class of you know and i've had some um incredible acts on that um uh orville pack mm -hmm. uh uh Lita pimiento Mm -hmm. uh dilly dally um who are just uh, anyway this some incredible uh bands have gone into incredible things but it's a way of uh you know what promoter bring something to the fucking table so yeah create something you know like so i create that uh that um this this annual uh, showcasing of uh, young bands. Uh, back in the day, you know, I created the, the triple header at festivals. One band, three nights, same club. And heiress of spaceships, his band, 
was one of the first I did that with at uh, Club at uh, the Silver Dollar, uh, King Kong and the Shrines. Um, and I got I got uh, North by Northeast to fly them over, you know. Yeah. North by Northeast was doing what I told them to do then, because I'd gone against them for two years, uh, uh, non NXNE shows, and I called them. Uh, NEXT or something like that. Yeah, it was the and, remember the uh, counter programming. And, but I was putting it in um and uh uh Death from Above yeah. was one of them. Uh Wolf Parade was another one of them. And uh so Michael Hall at the boss of NXNE threw in the towel for 2006 says work with us. I says, okay, but you gotta do it my way. So part of it was uh, King Kong and his shrines, uh triple header, silver dollar. The triple header was uh a, a you got to be a booker to know how to do that because you needed to have, you, as a booker, I knew that in festivals that if a band played one night and ignited a buzz, you could circle around and new people who were attending the festival would come the following night. And if the band's really, really good, the same people might come for another show. So you could do three nights, but that band, would have to nail it on the first night. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. To create that buzz. Very good doesn't cut it. <laughs> you know what? You, you got to kill it. And uh, so that was a triple header. Well, you named three, three of the best bands One ever. Night, three, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, same club for a festival, you know? Yeah. And you build a show around. Of course, I would be able to, but I had my... my my buffer on that is I get really, really good local acts on the bill as well, you know, and running till 3 a.m. Anyway, the, the triple header was a, I mean, we did, uh, North Island got their own booker in the coming years, and he ended up, he would be bringing acts to me, like Japanese Breakfast, like, uh, um, who's the girl from Australia? Uh, Courtney Barnett? Yes, Courtney Barnett was a triple header. Yeah. Japanese Breakfast was a triple header. Um, yeah, the zoo bombs were the original triple header at CMW. I had to finance that whole one myself because those guys wouldn't put money into anything. And I said, okay, I'll do it myself. I made, you know, me and the zoo bombs made some money from it even. Uh, but it was, we were way out on a limb. I remember you talk coming into uh full blast records and us talking about that and you saying, like, I got a lot riding on this zoo bombs show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think that was just <clears throat> they had played the um they had played oh well i did another thing i created when we we we, we um restored the sign like guys uh the guy who booed us out bought the building booed us out claimed to have restored the sign so it is so it's this current guy well we were the guys oh yeah restored the, the neon pump Cost twenty G's. I was there. I will. I will testify in court for you, Dan. I was there. I know you did this. Song. Yeah, right on. And you know, um, I brought in. I so I created something called the Neon Palm Festival. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three nights to celebrate the return of the the sign. And I I had the Zoomums once before. They were uh, with Emperor Norton Records, and they were done a. North American tour. And they'd actually blown me and Ben Rayner from Toronto Star. We were just like frozen standing there saying, What the hell is this? You know? 
And the next move I made, phoning them in Japan, saying, it's the one night in North America tour. <laughs> I flew them in to play the Neon Palm Festival. And, you know, that, that was going way more out of the limb than bringing uh, the uh, uh, the Greenhorns in to open for the Sadies and the question mark. But, uh, oh, boy. Anyway, there was, a, there was a Hamilton band whose agent, God, they have some, uh, oh, I can't remember the name. But they were big, but they were they were kind of on the downhill slide. But their agent, they were a brand name, and I had them on after the Zoo Bums for that show. And um, the Zoo Bums went up on stage. I had a guarantee for this band, like a thousand dollars. A band from Hamilton. I don't think it would God. be like not headstones, hey? like not headstones or something. Not the headstones, but something like that. Okay. And anyway. Shoe bombs go on stage, and these guys are getting hand letter payment, right? Yeah. So they got to go on after the shoe bombs. Shoe bombs go on stage, forget about it. <laughs> There's no following these guys. And they so killed it. <laughs> Andre Etze from the Deadly Snakes said to me, Dan, that's the greatest man I've ever seen. And the room emptied. And this Hamilton band. Oh, you know what? I'll look it up. I'll try to get a hold of it. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it in the intro. And then get it to you after. Uh, they were, I mean, maximum five people stayed for their show. <laughs> and I felt really ripped off by the industry for paying. Yeah, you know. The industry would come and get you for big guarantees and all that kind of stuff, you know. And Oh, boy. I like just dealing with band straight myself you know anyway that was a zoo bombs one night in north america tour so yeah as a promoter you got to create things you got to bring something to the game too not just like okay yeah i'll make well you know good posters that was something but uh create a platform you know mm -hmm. make the show something Bigger than just a run of the mill show. It's an event. It, it was always an, an event. event. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You got an. It's an event rather than a show. So, paint events. Yeah, requires some imagination. Who Who was like you mentioned Will Ferrell earlier? Who uh, his when he was in Toronto that run that he was here for a while. Some legendary stories of his partying. But who to you are some of the wildest partiers that you would meet in rock and roll <laughs> and, and and just in general through this club stuff. Oh, there was a guy named Nicky Sutton who was uh, from England. Rest in peace. And he was involved with Swell Maps yeah. and uh, uh, Kevin Jr. Oh, God, what was this band named? God, Kevin died young. Uh, Kevin, he was in a band from Chicago I worked with. Anyway, Nicky Sutton. And so it, it was, there was a, you know, fairly obscure but interesting. It had a, uh, you know, there was had some sort of audience. Uh, uh, anyway, I uh, wow, I partied with him. Wow, we went back to, he had a room at the Grange Hotel. And uh, we just doing coke and booze, you know. And uh, ARE weapons, me and those guys got pretty crazy. Yeah, because uh, you were also an early uh, champion I, of them, too. Like, before they kind of got that wave of hype. Yeah, I flew in from the, anyway, I was got 
That got a little complicated. We did so much coke at the end of the night. Stan, okay, you're going you're gonna to pass? I swear to God, we just spent about $500 worth of coke. Oh, but you know what? Anyway, I just should have. I probably didn't lay it out as I should have, you know. Yeah. Before, oh, God. Uh, but no, I mean, I gave them some money. Their, their flights were paid for and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, transportation to the airport. And there's a little extra cash, but, uh, and, a, and a lot of coal. <laughs> um, and uh, the partying, wow. Um, I remember Robin Black doing a thing for Much Music. That'd be one of the first time Robin Black was ever on Much Music with you. And being like, the, and, and introducing you as, in, in the office of the Elmo, being like, this is the wildest party place in Toronto, or something to that extent. Well, yeah, I was interested, you know, between us, I, between me, you, and the listeners, <laughs> if, we got, if we got any. Uh, yeah, Roman Black, I, they, Roman Black were pretty good, and I was pals with them. Uh, especially Stacey Strayer, we did a lot of partying together, and uh, he—he's a terrific guy. <clears throat> um, and Rob and I like. Uh, were they my favorite band? Or, no, I mean in that genre, the Toilet Boys. Yeah, were, were the uh, <clears throat> were the greatest. Um, but I was into the glam thing. Yeah, a bit. I bet. Listen, you're a Booker. You've got to have, um, you know, it's like running a sports team. You can't have, uh, well, I wouldn't mind having 18 Mitch Marners, but, uh, you know, but no, you, you need a, a, a balance, your roster. You need all kinds of stuff. You can't just book one genre. Yeah. Yep. You're going to cover the waterfront, you know, Did, everything, you, the whole spectrum. Were you booking the, uh, the Elmo when the Rolling Stones played there again? <clears throat> no, no, they, uh, no, they, uh, no, that was way, that was 19... That was one of the reasons I was um, I found the Elmo appealing because uh, it was one of the few things in Toronto that had any sort of history. Because they played it again in like what ninety something, right? Like, or <coughs> that was at the uh, Horseshoe. I remember they did the Horseshoe, but then I thought they did an Elmo show. Maybe it was later on. No, they did. No, no, no. They did uh, uh, the Palais Royal. I remember the Palais Royal one too. I thought that I remember Ackroyd walking in. I, I don't. I didn't. Wasn't there. But anyway, maybe. there was never another Elmo. Okay, must be. Thank God, because the people who took over the Elmo after us would so we'd be totally undeserving of that kind of uh, uh, that kind of event. It got weird. No, it... now without now without Charlie Watts and everything, it's. It's the, the sun setting, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I was fortunate enough to see them um, through last time uh, someplace outside of Barry. It's the first time I ever saw them. Yeah, I the band that turned me on to punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, this has been unbelievable. And anytime you want to come back, let's do one with Max from the Snakes. Let's do one with Danko. Because, you know, as I say, you've affected so many people's lives in this city and music, and you continue to. And my Danko, my favorite. Yeah, that, that, that's probably my favorite. Uh, man, Jesus, he's sharp. Talk about, you know, I went to, when I was in, on that trip. No, the second trip to England, the nature of which will not be discussed. Yes. Uh, I went down to London when they, they were playing a bar fly and, uh, in Camden. And uh, oh boy, I got out of uh, drinking. 
But Lemmy was there, promoted. I'd met him in uh, Toronto once before, too. Very nice guy. Very friendly. <clears throat> and I remember getting right up front when Danko played. And Rishi, in the middle of a song, looked down at me and winked. And I thought, man, that dude has got his shit so down. It's so well-rehearsed. It's so reflex, so pro, that he's aware of what's going on around him. You know? Yeah. No, that is something. And that's something, when people think of punk rock and stuff, you know, uh, it's just uh, loose and whatever happened. No, it's not. Uh, You know, it's sometimes, spontaneity can be great. It happens a lot with you. But you're a master of that. Um, but there's a lot to be said also for honing your skills, you know. Yeah, and uh, and knowing how to surf that anyway, he can surf and look at you and wink at you at the same time. Oh, yeah, you you, know? I've seen I've like I've been on tour with him and seen like Duff McKagan and Duff McKagan turning to me and going, He's the best front person ever. It's like, Wow, you're in a band with Axel Rose and you're saying Danko Jones is the best front person ever, like that speaks volumes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? What was so interesting about uh, Danko Jones is they took the blues with a slightly tongue-in-cheek. He's a blues character, slightly tongue-in-cheek, wise guy, but it is, it's, 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 it's blues, it's hardcore meets blues rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or am I, am, I, am I somewhat accurate? No, 100%. And have you heard that Garage Days thing that came out a couple of years ago, the, all the early recordings they did? And they've got a live track on it called Move On, which is one of my favorite songs I've ever heard. It's so good. And they never recorded it. It's that right, eh? Oh, it's so, it's like a slow ballad. And it's just, <laughs> like you're saying, it's a character, but there's so much honesty in that character that it makes it, I don't know. I, I just, I'm a huge fan. Oh, me too. Jeez. Well, good guy. Interesting guy. John Calabrese. I mean, there's Reese, but John Calabrese is a total cornerstone of that band, too. Uh, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Two punk rock hardcore kids. Yeah. Came and visited me when I was uh, in the coma at uh, St. Mike's, I guess it was. Yeah. Well, a, a, a gentleman. A gentleman. Uh, John Calabrese. Oh, I'd like to run into him again someday. Well, let's do one with you, me, and Danko next time because this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for doing this, Dan. Okay, you're very welcome. Thank you, Dan, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Dan will be back for a part two at some point in the future. And there's a lot of people that we could get on for that splits with Dan. Dan Danko Jones, there's there's lots of people and a lot more stories. I guarantee there's a lot more stories. Uh, That's it for this week's show on the next episode of Turned Out a Punk, which is hopefully coming out later on this week. Always are on the show. My buddies Molly and Alec are going to be here, and we have another fun conversation. (laughs) People that have played shows for Dan Burke, but if you want to talk about a completely different Canadian music experience, you get that in Always. But equally as fascinating and an incredible band, one of my... One of my favorites. Every time Always comes on the radio, I'm like, oh my gosh, so happy for these kids. Kids are adults. I'm saying it because I knew them when they were little kids. 
not little kids, but you know, like younger. Hey, we, we talk about it next week on the show. Well, that's it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence towards people of different religious faiths and uh, beliefs and races and just knock all this hatred out because we're not talking about political issues here. This is just basic freedom. This is basic human rights shit. People have the right to deserve, the right and they deserve to be able to live free from hate and discrimination and violence. So if there's organizations that are affecting positive change in the world around you. Get involved. There's lots of stuff right now you can do. There's lots of stuff. It can be overwhelming at time to look around and see all the stuff that's going on in this world. But if you, if you do something, I guarantee you'll feel a little bit better. Something's better than nothing. Right. Um, so get involved. There's organizations that need your money, need your physical support, need your, I don't know, just, just get involved. Speaking of get involved, get involved in the punk scene. Start a band, start a fanzine. Just do something because this culture gets better when you participate in it. Trust me on that one. And who knows where it goes? Who knows where you take it? Um, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for the, those organs, you don't need them. You don't. And it can perform miracles. I've seen it perform miracles with my own eyes. And try meditating. Who knows? It might help. I'll tell you one thing. Most of the people that come on this podcast that are very successful, I found they meditate. And even if you're not successful like myself, meditation can help. Oh, well, that's it for me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good week. Well, hopefully less than a week, and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.